This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be with you this Friday night. Es viernes, I'm really happy about that. I wish you a happy weekend in anticipation of that. And the phone number, if you want to join us live on the program tonight, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, President Trump is out there on the campaign trail trying to get elected again. And he's making a lot of comments in a lot of places. We're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, we, he's also live right now at the FRC Summit. It's known as not eat, pray, love, but pray, vote, stand. And I think those are all important things, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, I want to jump into a couple of other things because the, the border continues to be a very important issue that is going unaddressed, but citizens are taking note of it. And uh, our least favorite congressman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, also known as AOC, all out crazy. She uh, was um, she she was uh, not surprised, but she got a, a a not so warm welcome. I'd say a rude awakening. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I also want to talk about this case uh, out of Michigan. Right. So there were three guys. There was a bunch of guys originally, but there were three of the men that were accused of a plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, were acquitted today. Now, if you remember, this was a big thing. This was one of those things that, uh, quite frankly, President Trump mentioned in his interview with Megyn Kelly. He said they make fake crimes, they make a fake crime, and then they call it obstruction when you try to defend yourself. He's 100% right, and that's uh, not my best Trump impression. But that's exactly what they do, and the way they do it in many ways is either they have FBI agents undercover that are literally coaxing you to break the law or they'll have informants that will try and coax you to break the law. Just the way they've had informants and undercover agents inside of uh, Latin mass within the Catholic Church. They said that people that go to Latin mass are considered rad trad, radical traditional Catholics and that they have to be watched. You got to keep an eye on them. Uh, I, I think that's crazy. And even uh, Alejandro Mayorkas uh, eventually admitted that he thought that was crazy. And that was that was the work product of just a single uh, agent. And uh, we've addressed that. You know, he, he's always got an answer for everything, that guy uh, or no answer, really a non-answer for everything. Uh, but what happened in this situation, and I know you guys remember this, but just to refresh your memory, you know, there was a group of people that were upset about covid mandates in Michigan and they wanted to protest and these FBI linked people went in there 
and uh, led them astray. Now, listen, if you're an undercover reporting uh, organization or agency and you want to do that, you want to go into a, um, you know, a, a, a BLM rally or any kind of rally you want of Trump, rally, whatever you want to do. And you, you want to go in there and say, hey, look, you know, maybe we should uh, go and storm the Capitol or maybe we should, um, you know, we should go and we should, you know, um, give the cops a really hard time and protest this and that. You can do that if you want to get that on tape. I mean, that's within your rights, within the First Amendment. Uh, I understand how that works. I used to lead teams that did that. But it's a different story when you're federal law enforcement and you're trying to entrap people into breaking the law when that's not even their intention. Right. And that's what happened here. They, they came up with this crime saying, oh, we've got these people. I think it was a dozen at the time or something like that, where they were pl- plotting to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And they made this whole big stink about it. And it ended up being fake, phony, and fraud. The only one that was really plotting this kidnapping was the FBI person and trying to get everybody else to go along with him. This is not how you fight back against extremism or what they like to call the biggest threat facing America, white supremacy, or whatever they want to say. That's not how you do it. That's how you take people that had no intention of committing a crime and try to get them to commit a crime. Unbelievable. But the uh, last three men that were charged in this crime who were um, accused of plotting to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer were all found not guilty. William Null, his twin brother, Michael Null, and Eric Moilter. They were among the 14, excuse me, not 12, 14 that were uh, charged in the alleged plot, and all three of them have been acquitted. Adam Fox and Barry Croft Jr. were convicted of kidnapping conspiracy in 2022, The two were also found guilty of conspiring to obtain a weapon of mass destruction, such as a bomb to destroy a bridge near the governor's vacation home. And again, if you're doing stuff that's crazy, you're going to get, you know, a crazy sentence because that's how that works. But it's such a a shame and a sham when you try to get everybody. And this is kind of what Funny Willis is doing, right? Funny Willis, the DA in, in Georgia, she's trying to get everybody under the sun to look like they were part of this racketeering operation led by El Capo, Donaldus Magnus El Trompito, the 45th president of these United States, as if he was, you know, um, you know, the, the boss of John Gotti. You know, hey, listen, uh, Brad Reffensperger, I need you to find me 11,000 votes if you know what's good for you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the way they paint Trump in these things, it's just absolutely crazy. And like he said, they create these fake crimes. Then when you try to fight back, they call it obstruction. Trying to defend yourself against a crime in this country. I mean, absolutely crazy. And, And the only thing of benefit here is that the American people now see how these people are operating. And that's it. That's that's the the entirety of it. People have to know and be aware. And so much information is debunked on a regular basis. The things that they say, whether it was remember the the Kyle Rittenhouse stuff. I mean, every media outlet was out there telling the wrong story. Poor kid was doing the right thing the whole time. They tried to kill him. He defends himself. Meanwhile, they make him out to be a murderer. Absolutely crazy. And, you know, thank God that that justice was done in that case. But we see it time and again, and it's time that we kind of put an end to that, right? Or at least we take a proactive approach to stopping the misinformation that's being um, spewed and put out there by, um, I want to say our friends on the left. I'm going to say our fellow Americans on the left. And I know some of you are going to say they're not our fellow Americans. They're commies. You're probably right about that. But I believe in inclusivity, right? (laughs) I believe in in giving people the benefit of the doubt and, and, and trying to 
meet people where they are so that we can have a discussion about the truth, about the facts, so that, you know, we can get to, to a place, uh, a, a, an area of common ground. Anyway, President Trump is uh, midway through his speech at the uh, vote or pray vote stand rally that's uh, put on by the Family Research Council, uh, Council excuse me, in Washington, D.C. And I want to play a little clip of audio that we have from that straight ahead. Plus, get the reaction of CPAC chairman Matt Schlapp. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back. We have uh, President Trump speaking this evening at the Vote, Pray, Stand Summit, and he's He's had a remarkable record when it comes to really standing up for the issues of life and and many issues that are related to the faith-based community. Check this out. I'm also very proud to be the most pro-life president in American history. Very proud. Thank you. From my very first day in office, I took action to protect the unborn. I reinstated the Mexico City policy. You know what that is? Stopped taxpayer funding for the abortion industrial complex, which is what it's called. And I was the first sitting president to ever attend the March for Life rally right here in Washington, D.C. First President Trump has a solid record, a very solid record on so many things, probably the the most pro-life president, at least in my lifetime, and I'm 45 years old. And... But there's a lot of things where he's kind of excelled in his record. And I want to get into this with the chairman of the American Conservative Union that puts on CPAC every year, which, by the way, if you haven't been, you got to go. It's one of the most amazing conservative uh, conventions of the year. Uh, Matt Schlapp is our guest. Matt Schlapp, welcome back, sir. Great to be with you, Rich. You bet, brother. Thanks for joining us and staying up late. So uh, President Trump is out there today talking about things, and he's covering a myriad of issues. And, and I think that this is important, and this is something, honestly, I don't hear anybody else talking about. And I, I think, and it's not because, uh, you know, I'm a person of faith. I, I think that these issues uh, that relate to faith, these issues that relate to morality, are truly the glue that holds the, the fabric of our society together. And we're literally watching our society kind of being ripped apart at the seams by lawlessness, by uh, rampant um, atheistic tendencies, by uh, just an anti-God culture. And to me, it, it's clear that that's happening, Matchlap. Yeah, I agree, Rich. You know, when they said that we, the, uh, we need to take God out of our schools and out of our government because, uh, you know, we don't want an established church in America. And I think, you know, when this started, like in the 1950s and moving forward, I think people thought, well, you know, uh, you know, we're a pluralistic society. That's not such a bad thing. And I think we naively didn't realize that when they took God out, they replaced it with this anti-religious hatred. 
which has manifested itself in these uh, outrageous uh, school policies, right, in the curriculum in our public schools mm-hmm. and too many private schools, uh, where there's an animosity towards uh, God's truth and towards God, and it's been replaced with this, I keep calling it woke Marxism, because, I, you know, it's like it's hard to even describe what it is. It's a combination of godless communism and this kind of zeitgeist of these crazy fads like, hey, hey, son or daughter, you can become any gender you want. And there's, you know, started with Facebook saying, hey, you can pick one of 30 genders. I mean, it just this insanity uh, just gets worse and worse. And we're in a downward spiral, Rich, where you don't know what we'll be talking about tomorrow. Um, I think almost anything that is uh, chaotic and makes people unhappy and destroys civilization will become a vogue and American companies will be saying they're for it. Folks, we're on with Matt Schlapp. He's uh, the author of The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. Matt Schlapp, I agree with you. And I think that we're we're in a really tough spot and we have so many of our, our bluest cities that have really just gone off the deep end in becoming uh, these godless bastions of lawlessness. And I think it, it's very problematic because, you know, I mean, you have daughters, I have daughters. And, and when, the other day, my daughter, she's turning 18 in, in 10 days. And she's like, oh, I want to go to the city to celebrate so-and-so's birthday. And I was like, oh, you're not going to the city. And, and she was really upset by this. Meanwhile, her sister, who's only four years older than her, you know, studied at FIT right, right near my old studio. And she used to take the bus from Jersey into the city all the time. And, and she was like, I don't understand why. I was like, you don't understand why. People live on the street now. You st- it was just, you know, implanted or I should say transplanted homeless people. Now you've got uh, people from all over the world that are being transplanted into New York City. Crime is on the rise and it's just not safe. And, and it's lamentable that this is what children have to go through today. You can't enjoy one of the best cities in the world. But people that live in this city are, are going crazy. And it makes me think this is spreading throughout the country and Americans are, are faced with, with an opportunity to make a change, right? And it, this isn't even a pil- political thing. This is really a situation where s- there's one party and set of candidates that support an idea that's kind of godless and uh, reckless, and another party that has ideas that are going to be promoting law and order and, uh, you know, maybe a balanced budget and, and, and just a, a freer market so that we can have a balance in our economy. And, and I feel like uh, American voters, I think, are waking up, and we're seeing it more and more. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I think maybe I'm sipping the Kool-Aid. Maybe we're not doing as well as we think we're doing. What say you? Well, I'll just say about the big city thing. We got big, broken, bankrupt blue cities, and we just did CPAC in Sydney, Australia. So it's CPAC Australia. And it's a great nice. event, by the way, and uh, so many lessons from that. But one of the lessons I learned from from Sydney, and then I went to Tokyo and gave a speech to a to a burgeoning new party, the Sansei Party in Japan, which is a populist conservative party. Um, Both those cities, big, huge cities, Tokyo has something like 15 million people that live in it, uh, just in the city itself. And it's functional. It's clean. You don't see homeless people. You don't see, like, strung out people walking in the street. Um, They like their cops. They don't try to defund their cops. They have lots of cops. Um, This broken city thing that we've seen starting in, L.A. and San Francisco. This is an American problem. This is not a problem in the world. I've, you know, in the last 12 months, I've been to Paris. I've been to Rome. I've been to these cities I just described to you all over the world uh, doing CPAC events. And we are the only country that's facing this level of apparent 
uh, destruction of society and civilization. And all of these big cities in America are also all run by very woke Marxists. And you can see what it does to people. And by the way, if you're rich uh, and um, can have these terrible values, maybe you have the wherewithal to survive a lot of bad choices. But you know, if you're poor uh, or if you're uneducated and you start following the woke values of the people you think are cool in entertainment, it destroys your life very fast. And the, the, the biggest example of that is the devastating impact of drugs. We've, we've quickly legalized drugs in all these blue states, starting in Colorado and moving forward. And, you know, the libertarian in me thought, well, you know, let the states kind of decide what they want to do. Maybe this isn't such a terrible thing. Now, now go to Denver and go to these cities and see the impact. It is devastating. And once again, it's uniquely American in the sense that we are seeing the absolutely dysfunction of all the major cities, unless you're talking about like Miami or Dallas or some of these big cities that are in red states. The, the big cities in the blue states are completely broken, and I, and I defy the left to go overseas and show me cities that are as broken as our cities. And it's a perfect example of why these policies, if adopted by uh, America generally, if Joe Biden gets a second term, we might not come back from it. Yeah, lamentably. Now, um, with a minute and a half to go before we hit our pause, I want to get your take on this um, woman running for the House of Delegates that was streaming porn online with her husband as a business. And now she's saying this is a Republican attack because stuff that she was selling online was brought into the political discussion. That's how I understand it. Am I missing something here? Yeah, it's kind of a wild story. Um, I guess you should be careful if you're going to run for office because uh, if a few months before that you were taking off all your clothes online and asking Mm -hmm. for money to perform sex acts, you know, it's probably going to be a central part of your campaign. Um, I think it shows an amazing lack of judgment. It also shows you, the, once again, the radical nature of the Democratic Party with the kinds of candidates that they're recruiting and the fact that they're so arrogant because they control the media, they assume that there'll be no negative media because Democrats mostly get a pass on everything. But uh, I think for the people of Virginia, this is, uh, this is, let's just say, a few steps too far. I will say that I am rather disgusted about the media coverage of Tim Scott and his sexuality and whether or not he has a girlfriend. We have a story mm-hmm. that broke on Christy Nome and the charges she's having an affair. You have this story that broke on Lauren Boebert and her uh, you know, being at a date at a play. I have to say, it does seem mostly like it's a one-way ratchet. The, the attempt to destroy any conservative or any Republican, destroy the human being um, because they have conservative views and are getting involved uh, in politics. So the, the Democrat case is an unusual one because it's actually a Democrat who's being covered, but that is about the most flagrant case of, uh, of, of, of being provocative, so we say that, Rich, to the mm-hmm. voters uh, with your uh, sexual exploits. If we dare go against what they believe, they will try to destroy you. Folks, we're on with Matt Schlapp, chairman of the American Conservative Union the group that puts on CPAC every year. We're coming right back for a couple of more minutes with Match Lab. Don't go anywhere and give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Keep it locked right here. There is more to come straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Call now, 833 833- for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And our guest is CPAC chairman Matt Schlapp. Matt Schlapp, there's so many things that are going on in the headlines and so little time to discuss it, but what's your ultimate take on what's happening uh at the at the federal level, the national headlines with uh, Joe Biden? Oh, I mean, this this scandal is, it really is outrageous. Look, I mean, uh, both my wife and I have worked in the White House. We've both been in politics our whole adult life. I worked on the Hill. I worked in the executive branch. Um, you know, uh, and I've been, it seems like whenever you do that as a Republican, you get caught up in a lot of investigations. I've been caught up in a lot of investigations over the years. Um, and it always seems like Republicans are on the run when it comes to legal troubles. I mean, I ask you, Rich, give me a prominent Democrat who seems to be, uh, you know, facing prison uh, for any malfeasance. And even with all the corruption in the big cities, it's really hard to think of anyone. I can give you a, I could roll off my tongue, all the Republicans. I mean, Matt Gates to begin with, who just seems to be investigated every year for something new. Uh, CPAC has been through a bunch of this. Um, Other conservative organizations like the NRA go through constant bouts of, legal challenges from the deep state and from the regulatory bodies, from the weaponized DOJ, et cetera. And here you have Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. They had that laptop. Bill Barr had that laptop and they saw all the crimes on it. And they knew it was real. They did nothing. And why is that? Bill why, why? Barr. That's right. Why, why, why do Democrats, including Republicans, by the way, why do, why did they always give Democrats a pass for very serious crimes and Republicans for less serious charges seem to get the book thrown at them. And Trump is another perfect example of that. You know, even on the documents, uh, presidents and Democrats who have access to classified documents over the years, um, you know, you've never seen uh, someone uh, been uh, treated like Donald Trump has been treated for having documents that you might have a difference of opinion as to whether or not he should have them. As a matter of fact, as he said in his interview with, with, uh, with that's going to be aired on Meet the Press, there really isn't a crime. Once again, it's always like, well, you obstructed. So that's that's the process crime they always come up with. I mean, mm-hmm. look, if they want to get you, you know, um, it's like Stalin's henchman said, uh, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. If, if they want to find and make up crimes because they just want to get rid of you politically, the deep state can do it. And, you know, that's why America was so different, because we had a constitution that was actually written down and well thought out. And even if you were un, unwealthy or you're poor or unpowerful, 
those those uh, rights were ascribed to you, and we've chucked it out the window, Rich. And it's a really, really, it's a terrible thing. And if Joe Biden is able to get off scot free, and if Hunter Biden gets off with just these ridiculous gun crimes, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to get it back again. And that's why I think it's so important that we start with impeachment and really show the American people the high crimes that uh, the Biden family is guilty of. Let me uh, move my classified documents out of the way before I get raided. Folks, that's Matt (laughs) Schlapp. (laughs) Matt, I want to thank you for joining us. I know you got to run, but I I do appreciate you being here. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I wish you Godspeed. Hey, and let's all pray for Ken Paxson in Texas. That impeachment process is really a disgrace in Texas. Uh, He's a good man. I hope he survives this vote. Amen to that, brother. Thank you again. Now, folks, we're just talking about uh, President Trump, and uh, he's out on the campaign trail, and he's talking about all the issues of the day. And one of the issues that, you know, made him rise to national prominence and and continues to be, you know, uh, a huge issue. And I remember when he was saying, you know, uh, on the campaign trail, there we're going to see six, seven dollars uh, gasoline. We're going to have uh, a massive uh, influx of caravans at the border. If Biden gets elected, he's going to attack American energy. And they said, oh, you don't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about. Right. All of that stuff has come true. Uh, they, should, they should label him a prophet. Right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And then they'll say I'm one of the cult members in the Trump religion. But he, he's been on point with immigration. And today he was at a, a campaign stop and he was talking about immigration. I want you to hear this clip. Upon my inauguration, I'll terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and quickly achieve the most secure border in U.S. history, as we had three years ago. So he's right. And we we need to get back to that. Yesterday, there was an article that came out and I shared it with you guys on the air. A number of uh, the number of people on the terror watch list, uh, the terrorist watch list, listen to this, that were stopped at the U.S. southern border has increased by 60%. We only had 100 people in 2022 so far this year that were caught, 160 just so far in 2023. And we're only, you know, nine and a half months in. This is not good. And while Republicans are out there beating the drum, Trump is out there beating the drum to secure the border, to secure the nation and, and control immigration, illegal immigration, that is, You've got Democrats that are out there like all out crazy AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, at least mine. And she's out there saying, you know, how we have to be compassionate and why we have to be there for for the um, asylum seekers or the migrants, as they like to call them. And and again, I'm I'm starting to agree that we can't call them illegal immigrants anymore because they're being legally invited by Joe Biden. He's the illegal one here. But anyway, AOC was out in New York today, and uh, she didn't get the warmest welcome. Listen to this. And ultimately, I think that there are three points of consensus here that are very important in getting a solution to this issue. The first is that there is there is consensus here across geography and states on increased federal resources to cities and municipalities dealing with this issue. The second is to allow for work authorizations so that folks in here can get to work and start supporting themselves as soon as possible. They are prevented from getting jobs, they are prevented from employment, and that is part of the strain on our public systems. The faster that folks can access the work that they're asking for legally, the better we can solve this problem. And the third is extension of temporary protected status for Venezuelans who are the largest population that are arriving here. So with that, we thank you 
very funny, right? I mean, she's getting drowned out. And again, I don't, I, I don't always appreciate this tactic, and I'm not even saying I appreciate it here. I think people should have a right to speak, and we shouldn't sit there and uh, kind of, um, you know, drown them out with noise the way the Antifa do with the cowbell when conservatives are speaking on college campuses. But this is a little different because she's a government official, and she's there on government business, and they, they are we the people. And they're shouting, you know, close the border and uh, send them back. And it's, it, it's just showing you that the people in New York City do not appreciate this immigration crisis. Eric Adams is, you know, up to his ears with complaints from his constituents. There, uh, I saw a video the other day of uh, several black voters, and I played it on the air. It was a Newsmax, uh, Newsmax report from Mike Carter where he was in Harlem speaking with people, and they said, look, Joe Biden hasn't delivered. He hasn't delivered. Immigration's out of control. You've got regular uh, homeless New Yorkers that are seeking services in their city, and they can't access those services because the, the city is out there putting out all this money to house people in hotels. Eric Adams is complaining that we have to wash their sheets and give them a cell phone and do all of this. And that's why AOC is there now saying, look, we've got to get these people work permits. We've got to put them to work. Meanwhile, there's still a labor shortage. So maybe they're thinking this is the answer to the labor shortage. But the reality is these are just going to undercut the American worker, somebody who's brand new in this country. And again, this is why we have to check immigration. Legal immigration is a good thing. Illegal immigration uh, just creates an opportunity for those who want the cheapest of labor, including the unaccompanied minors who come across the border. This is a problem, and it's a problem that's happening all across the country, but it's being highlighted as it happens in New York. So I want to get your thoughts on that as we get to your calls straight ahead. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. known you several years now. I want the audience to know what a wonderful, decent person you are. Very, very thoughtful. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Special counsel Jack Smith wants a judge to issue a limited gag order against Donald Trump in that federal trial over his alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Smith cited the former president's harassment of prosecutors, potential witnesses, and the citizens of D.C. Prosecutors want to prevent Trump from undermining the integrity of the case and intimidating the jury pool. <laughs> you can't help but laugh at this, right? I mean, when we think of who are some of the most famous people on the planet, Donald Trump is one of those people. I don't care what part of the world you go to. You say Donald Trump, even if they don't know who he is, they're going to go, Donald Trump. Is he the, the orange guy who was president in America with a lot of money? Yeah, I mean, people know Trump. They've known him for years, decades. To, to say that he's going to contaminate the jury pool, you've got to be kidding me. What is it that he can do to, to the jury pool? And, and moreover, 
how is it that one's First Amendment rights, uh, and I get it, sometimes judges do impose these things because it, it can have some sway or whatever, but you've got to take into account that the man is running for president. And moreover, the man has been a critic of the culture and a commentator uh, forever. You know, when he was running The Apprentice, he had, you know, tons of opinions. Obama was born in Kenya, this, that, and the third, right? He's always had something to say, whether he was an office or not. So I, I feel like, you know, th- this is a, an unfair imposition. And when he says deranged Jack Smith, you know, and he puts that stuff on Truth Social, I think, uh, you know, he has to have a right to defend himself. He has to have a right to free speech. And th- they should have thought about this. If they didn't want all of this extra media attention, then maybe not go for this waiting 35 months to indict him, right? Could have tried to indict him right away. Everybody was saying Donald Trump is going to leave the White House in handcuffs. Why didn't they do that? Why didn't they try that? Of course not, because this would have seen its way through the courts and probably gotten tossed out already, and it would be a nothing burger. So they want to do it in, you know, in the year leading up to the 2024 election. Clearly election interference and in, interfering in his primary run, interfering in uh, what many presume to be will be uh, a general election run. And it's 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 sad, honestly, to say the least. Um, he's not above the law, but right now he's beneath the law. He's got no protections. He tries to defend himself, even if it's verbally saying, you know, I think this guy's deranged and he's coming after me. I think most people can say that. Most people choose not to give any public comment. But again, it's Trump we're talking about. I look over my shoulder to the TV right behind me, and there he is. He's still going at the vote stand, uh, pray vote stand summit in Washington, D.C., because Trump is one of those people that can 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 wax poetically for, for hours on a multitude of topics. So when Jack Smith asks a federal judge for a gag order to restrict Trump from his free speech, uh, in particular, any comments he has in the case against him, I think it's a little off the wall, honestly, me personally. Now, special counsel Jack Smith, who's Biden's guy, who was appointed by Biden. Now he's been made um, uh, special counsel. He's originally from The Hague. He was a war crimes um, prosecutor, which they have a different system where, you know, you can do whatever you want in many ways. It's not America. He represented America, but it, it was a different system. And if, I feel like he's bringing that attitude and that that energy into what he's doing now. Now, back in August... He had asked for a gag order against Trump in the case that he brought against him in Florida after the DOJ instructed the FBI to raid Mar-a-Lago. They say that he shouldn't be permitted to speak about sensitive and confidential information as it would have harmful and chilling effects on witnesses or adversely affect the fair administration of justice in the case. Uh, In the filing from today, Smith asked the federal judge to impose a narrowly tailored gag order to stop Trump from making statements that Smith and his team could harm their case. Smith claims the statements that he wishes to prevent Trump from making could, quote, prevent serious and substantial danger of prejudicing the case uh, that Smith has brought stemming from the aftermath of the um, 2020 election. So now Smith has asked uh, the D.C. judge uh, Shutkan. Now, we've heard about this other judge, right, Judge Shutkan, before, and um, hasn't always been the, the most fair judge, so we'll see if she does impose a um, narrow, what they call a well-defined restriction on his speech with respect to the case, trying to stop him, obviously, from speaking about the identity, testimony, or credibility of prospective witnesses. 
Now, um, I hope his lawyers fight it, and he should have a right. Because if somebody's going to go and malign him on the stand, then he can't go to the bully pulpit and to his you know massive audience of people that are supporting him and and defend himself against what they're saying. You know, I see it as unfair, but we'll see how this thing works out. Smith now argues that this would not stop Trump from publicly proclaiming that he's innocent of the charges that have been levied against him um, by his political rival. And if Judge Shutkan allows this gag order to go forward, Trump would likely contend that his First Amendment rights are being violated. And I, I, I would agree with that. It seems right to me. Uh, again, we could bring in some of our legal scholars and find out what the what the background on that is. Uh, but trying to get this thing um, seems like like a, like a challenge. Maybe this second uh, iteration of the request might help him to you know being that it's more narrow in scope. But they're saying uh, that when he suggests that the judge is a fraud, dressed up as a judge. <laughs> <laughs> or a radical Obama hack that this uh, might bias the case. Well, I mean, that not that the job, right? It's kind of when they say to overturn the 2020 election. You know, just imagine you had a court case and you went to the Court of Appeals. You're trying to overturn a conviction against you. Isn't that your, like, Sixth Amendment right to due process and to um, um, fair representation, effective representation? Isn't that like a constitutional right? So I just don't see how if he's representing himself or defending himself in the public square, why this is so I understand why it may be detrimental to them, because the people may learn the facts of the case and see a, a spin or a slant or a different perspective on the case that they hadn't seen before. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Anyway, we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. I want to give a quick shout out to Count Delacula and Arturo Martinez, who are, of course, um, in the control room holding it down tonight. Big shout out to them. Let's go to the phones to your calls. 833-4-Valdez. David in Sunset Beach, North Carolina, WRNN. David, what's on your mind tonight? Hi, Rich. Um, thank you. I called in the last time we talked about immigration that I remember was a couple months ago. And I suggested if you did the math, it's going to take five years, eight hours a day full-time to fix it. And the New York City thing makes me think it's the barking dog theory. New York didn't care when Texas was getting slammed, but mm -hmm. now they got a problem, and the barking dog is right next door. And then I hear, and no offense, no criticism, love your show, but America's waking up, and what if so-and-so did such-and-such, and... -such? and I'd like to get your perspective, because what if the Titanic was going to hit an iceberg? Oh, wait a minute. It did. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I think we miss here is we're in the middle of it. We're thinking, you know. So my question, I guess, for you, because you're smarter than I am, you know, what do we do? What do we do? What sure. does the average Joe guy do that listens to Rich and says, tell me what to do, Rich. I'll do yeah, it. Well, David, if we take a look at the uh, the clip of audio I played, and there's a video that accompanies that, and maybe I'll tweet it out so you could see it. First, thanks for your kind words. I appreciate that. I think you're giving me too much credit. But I will say... What we heard in that video was AOC trying to get a message out, and she couldn't get it out because everyday Joes were there speaking their truth, redressing their government, and, and bringing their grievances to the table. So I think when We the People mobilizes and gets in, you know, theoretically in the face of these politicians, we have to hold their feet to the fire. And I think this is the beginning of that, and we're starting to see it. David, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Very, very, very good comment. And uh, we're coming right back to talk about auto workers and their strike. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. I welcome you to join us on uh, the phone tonight, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's a number of uh, topics that we're covering tonight. Uh, there's a, a talk show host named Byron Allen who has made a $10 billion offer to buy ABC News from the Walt Disney Corporation. I thought that was pretty interesting. Imagine if this talk show host, right, if I could make an offer like that. I'd love that. Uh, that would be really, really cool. Uh, we also have uh, Hurricane, or I think oh, soon to be Hurricane Lee, that's uh, brewing. And uh, we'll keep you up to speed on that as well. And speaking of hurricanes, there is a storm about to hit Washington uh, with the, um, and really all across the country, in Detroit included, with the strike from the United uh, Auto Workers Union and uh, the three big car makers that are participating in the strike. And I want to dig into that. And uh, just a quick aside, there's a, a Seattle area gas station that has dropped gas prices by over $2 a gallon in order to protest the state carbon tax. We're going to get to that one a little bit later on in, at the top of the next hour. But to discuss the United Auto Workers uh, strike and everything that's going on there, uh, I want to first play a clip from President Biden, because President Biden uh, is out there. And, you know, every president every now and again will weigh into negotiations on things. But 
you can see how Biden's putting his little pinky toe into the water, really not making much of a change. But here's what he had to say. Auto companies have uh, seen record profits, including the last few years, because of the extraordinary skill and sacrifices of UAW workers. But those record profits have not been shared fairly, in my view, with those workers. So President Biden, who I affectionately call Joe El Baboso Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden says that they're making tons of cash and because they are, that has to directly translate to everybody else. And I always thought, you know, I once worked for a Fortune 10 company and it never, ever once occurred to me that the salary that I negotiated with them should somehow be attached to whether they had a good year or a bad year. And just imagine if they had a bad year and they, you know, pro- they, they posted record losses and uh, they were to turn around to me and say, so since we had record losses, we're going to be, uh, you know, cutting your salary or, or cutting you off uh, totally. Right. And of course, that is a fact of business. But it's just interesting how there's and I'm not faulting anybody. If you want to negotiate for that, you should. It's a good idea. But that most people don't have that type of leverage. Now, they're trying to have that leverage here and they've got the president of the United States out there, you know, um, stumping for them on this. So, uh, again, we talked a, a lot about what they were looking for, a 32-hour work week. Uh, they they um, also wanted um, a doubled salary, and I think they've kind of um, eased up on some of those uh, requests. But interesting to see how this is playing out. Now, I want to give you just one more clip of Joe Biden before we jump into this. Listen to this. No one wants a strike. Say it again. No one wants a strike. But I respect workers' right to use their options under the collective bargaining system. Of course nobody wants a strike. And listen, this is how collective bargaining works. And they're trying to bargain collectively here. And I get it. I just think the cost that is going to come to the consumer as a result of this is probably going to be uh, much more than we anticipate. But hopefully I'm wrong. Let's um, let's get into this with somebody who knows exactly what's going on. Joanne Moretti is a supply chain expert. She's the chief revenue officer for Fictive. They're a global leader in advanced manufacturing. And she's with us now. Joanne Moretti, welcome. Thank you so much, Rich. It's so nice to be on your show. Likewise. Thank you very much. I appreciate you being here. So now when you hear President Biden's comments, which again seem rather innocuous, I don't think he was doing much or saying much to anybody um, except restating the obvious that we don't want to strike. And then um, kind of being in in the corner of the union saying, um, look, you guys are making too much money, big, bad corporations, and this needs to trickle down to the rest of the people. Now, I... That's his prerogative and their prerogative. I just don't know how realistic that's going to be when the rest of the country is is not in the best shape. And when you've got some smaller enterprises that are now using the oversupply of illegal immigration labor that we have coming into the country, it just seems like a tough time to negotiate for this. What say you? Yeah, I think so, too. I think we need uh, reason and I think we need to come to the table and negotiate and putting uh, your finger on one side of the scale uh, makes it difficult. So, um, you know, I'm I think about what it's going to do to supply chains and the disruptions that things, you know, this particular activity is going to cause. Um, so that's kind of how I'm looking at it from the lens of what's going to happen to the consumer. How are they going to get the products they need? What's going to happen to supply chains? There's parts of cars coming in from all over the world. Things get, you know, assembled and, you know, built in one place and then, you know, assembled last mile sort of, 
you know, in another place, uh, there's 40,000 parts on a car in some case. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's going to cause supply chain disruption. So that's kind of the lens I'm looking at it through. I don't know if what, you know, President Biden said it's going to make a difference or not, but we're kind of bracing ourselves for another big supply chain disruption. And there's been, as you know, a litany of them. So that's kind of how how we're looking at it is what's going to stop, what's going to happen, uh, how are consumers going to get what they what they want. And, and that's kind of the lens we're looking at it through. Now, Joanne Murray, I think that's an excellent lens to look at it at because we've already seen what can happen just a little while ago. And w- when we had the chip shortage and other parts that were not available, we, we'd seen an increase. Right. So if they estimate inflation at 15 point some odd percent uh, overall, the inflation on car parts was something close to 40% or north of 35, as I remember it. And this has been very significant to the point where I, when I was car shopping, I remember I could really only look at certain uh, pre-owned cars because the new models of the car that I wanted were just not available. I went to a couple of different dealers and they said, oh, those are coming in very close to the end of, of 23. Uh, like, and they should have been out at the end of 22. <laughs> and there was, um, okay. you know, a multi-month waiting list for brand new cars. So the cost of used cars just skyrocketed. And of course, with used cars, you, you need more parts because you have to maintain them and update them and whatnot. So I, I just look at that and I think, and I went through it with my kids who both have um, used cars and, and the cost on a, even a used car is, is still astronomical. So I look at that and I think this is going to be very bad for the American people because, you know, if you don't live in a big city, which I, I live in, you know, in the New York area, so it's easy for me to get around, but not everybody has that opportunity. And if you don't have a car, you probably can't have a job because you can't get around. And I think this really has a huge negative impact on the American people. And uh, this is just my own criticism of, of President Biden's approach here. Uh, like you said, putting his thumb on one side of the scale versus the other. I think if he's tipping the scale in anybody's direction, it has to be in the direction of the the people. That's who he represents. That's That's who elected him. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We have to think about the customer and the customer, you know, the consumer. And first of all, you know, talking about supply chain issues, you you went back to uh, one instance sort of, you know, last year. Uh, Let's rewind and let's go back to when, all these supply chain issues I felt came crashing down on us, which was, you know, January 2011, when we had the Japanese tsunami. Since Mm. that point in time, companies have taken such a big hit. They took such a big hit at that point. I mean, some companies were down for three weeks uh, because their suppliers were out of commission. Uh, Some people were down for good. Their businesses actually shut down because of that. And then from there, we saw all kinds of things, right? We saw uh, other weather um, events. We saw pandemics. We saw, you know, trucks at borders. We saw, you know, congested ports. I mean, it's been one thing after another. And companies have to think about consumers. And they have to think about what are we going to do to put in place real agility so that if something happens over here, we can switch over and go over there, right? How can companies be much more agile? And I think, quite honestly, again, I'm going to look at this from my lens and what we try to do to help our customers is we try to give them that supply chain resilience and that agility so when there's a market event, they can switch over and they can get their parts from somewhere else or they have another 
sort of set of suppliers that they can, you know, shift over to. But just being left out in the water when there's another one of these supply chain issues and leaving customers to hang. You remember when the pandemic happened, it mm-hmm. took like 12, 14 weeks for consumers to get anything. I remember ordering a dining room table. and It took forever. I mean, I wanted it in the home for the holidays and I didn't get that thing until months later. And so it was just, you know, it's disappointing for consumers. And, and I know we live in, you know, we have these first world problems, but a lot of us need, like you said, I need a car. I have no bus around where I live. I need a car. And so that's why I say like, don't be tipping one scale or the other. Focus people on supply chain resiliency focus on the consumer and what happens to that consumer at the end of the day and how do we get products and services to them properly and withstand all of these different, you know, trade war issues, pandemic issues, trucking protests, congested ports. I mean, it goes on and on and on. We've got to become more ready uh, for these situations and we've got to become more resilient. And I think You know, a lot of people are like, well, let's just move everything to the States. You know, let's take everything out of China, move it to the States. And that might be a solution or let's move it to Mexico or India. Right. Those might be solutions. But the problem with some of those strategies is there's just not enough labor. Right. There's just not enough labor. Like if you think you're going to take a 50,000 person factory, which some of those exist in China and just move it to Mexico overnight or somewhere here in the U.S., you've got another thing coming. Right. So there's a level of preparedness. There's a level of, you know, looking at your current supply chain network and understanding where things come from, where the, you know, where the single point of failures are and rethinking your whole supply chain strategy and leveraging technology, leveraging advanced manufacturing approaches, leveraging 3D printing and robots more, because, again, we have labor issues. Leveraging, you know, platforms like Fisliv that give you sort of that on-demand manufacturing when you need it. So that's kind of like, you know, our take on it is we just have to be more thoughtful. Maybe the government should be investing in innovation, which I know they're trying to. And there's a lot of, you know, new funding going into chip companies and things like that. But we need more. We need more innovation and we need to leverage what we're really good at. We're really good at technology and we got to leverage that. Folks, we're on with Joanne Moretti, Chief Revenue Officer at Fictive, and we're going to continue this discussion on supply chain, plus your calls at 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. It's my hope that the parties can return to the negotiation table to forge a win-win agreement to continue our active engagement. I'm 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 dispatching two members of my team to Detroit, Acting Labor Secretary Julie Hsu and White House Senior Advisor Gene Sperling, both of whom have been involved up to now, to offer their full support for the parties in reaching a contract. That's, of course, President Joe Biden, who I like to call Joe El Baboso Biden, saying that he's sending his uh, his head muckety mucks to the table to help the um, folks that are at odds come to an agreement. Joanne Moretti is our guest, chief revenue officer at Fictive. And 
Joanne Moretti, when you look at when you hear what Biden's saying and we look at the situation we have, do you think that we're going to get to uh, an agreement anytime soon? Or do you think there's too much distance in between the two sides? I mean, I'm I'm really not the expert to comment or, you know, opine on that one. I think that um, I think it's going to be a while. Let's put it in in those terms. I think it's going to be a a while. I don't think that the administration kind of jumping into this thing and sending folks to the table is going to help. Um, It might actually hurt. Um, And I think that there needs to be a balance. Again, my opinion is that, you know, the consumer has to win in the end. Right. And if one side has more, you know, is more heavily weighted one way or another, you know, influenced by our government one way or another, I don't know that it's going to help the consumer. I think we have to put them at the center of everything we do. And like you said, people need cars. People need to get around. Not everyone has the luxury of buses, trains and other types of, of transportation, and they need their car to get to work. And so, I mean, I think it's going to have an impact on the consumer, and that's kind of who we should put front and center. If they do go and they help the negotiation by putting consumers first, then that'll be a win. But if they don't and take one side or the other, I think it's going to hurt everything and slow us down, to be honest. Yeah, I get that. From your position, do you think that this is the time for people to go and get a new car, like before this thing goes down and prices go up, or should Uh they wait? What do you think? I, I think they might be in for, you know, long waits. There's already waits uh, for certain types of models, and, uh, it, you know, it could, it could uh, drag things out. So getting a new car just before the holidays when there's a strike imminent and, you know, things are not looking good, I, I might, I don't know, I might consider. I might, uh, if I was in that position, I might look at, you know, a used car or might look at some alternative, but... Uh, just looking at the way things are going, I'm not sure what the what the turnaround what the turnaround time is going to be. So I'd look at that and I'd ask, what is it right now? Uh, obviously, I'd go in and say, hey, what 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 does it look like right now? If there was no strike, and have them give you some kind of date, and then factor uh, you know factor up a little bit from there. But I have to tell you this one story because it was so customer focused. Um, and this was a company that did the right thing. So Honeywell is a big American, obviously, conglomerate, sure. and uh, they have a huge aerospace group. That's their biggest, best-performing, I think, division in the company is this aerospace group. And they came to us because one of the airlines said, you know, your auxiliary power unit is letting off this terrible oil-burning stench, and they had to fix it. Otherwise, they'd lose the airline and the airline would lose customers. And, you know, it's a trickle, trickle down effect. So um, and customers were really complaining about it. They were getting off the plane. They were saying, they could, you know, they were getting nauseous from this, this scent that was coming. So um, Honeywell couldn't get these parts built in under, I think their uh, schedule time was seven months. And this was because of supply chain sourcing and vetting and getting the right players and RFPing and all their processes, let's put it that way, all their processes. So they came to us and they said, can you put your digital manufacturing network to work? Can you find us the right capacity, the right capabilities somewhere in the world? Because what we do is we connect manufacturing partners together using a cloud and then we disperse work to them. 
based on the capabilities. So we, right. you know, we, of course, we have 250 of them. We're going to find someone to help them. We did this thing in How six did it end weeks. Up? Wow. Six weeks. Six weeks. I mean, they were going to get fired from their airline uh, customer. You know, they were, they were in big trouble here. And so what you saved they the had day. scheduled was seven months. And that's what I'm talking about, leveraging technology to... Oh, are you still the there? Room. I'm still here. Yeah, Folks, we're on with Joanne Moretti, uh, Chief Revenue Officer at Fictive. Check them out at Fictive.com, F-I-C-T-I-V.com. Joanne, I want to thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem at all. Thanks for having me, Rich. You bet. Take care and God bless. Folks, we're coming right back with your calls and more and more discussion. Don't move a muscle. glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we continue our discussion and we switch gears to dating. Now, recently I'd seen an article that uh, caught my eye that said that women that identify as liberal or uh, progressive had a penchant or a preference for men that were conservative when it came to dating. And I thought, man, that's interesting, right? I guess it's a real opposites attract type of thing. And in much the same way, there's an article that's out lately that says that, you know, short women like tall men. Now that one makes uh, a little more sense to me, but there's also a vice versa on that that I wanted to understand a little bit better. So I wanted to go to uh, one of uh, America's preeminent uh, love coaches, Jennifer Stiers. Uh, she's with us now, and she's uh, the um, manager, owner of a boutique matchmaking service known as Love Jen. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, lots of fun things to talk about. Uh, the whole liberal thing shocked me. <laughs> So, yeah, isn't uh, that liberals something? Attracted. No, it, it, it can't be. It just can't be. It'd be World War III. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I was reading it earlier. I didn't leave it open. It was in the New York Post. Uh, maybe uh, when we come back from the break, I'll, I'll bring it up. But uh, it had a couple of interesting tidbits as to why it happened. But I, I want to start off with this uh, this height mismatch. And again, I think, you know, historically, and I think just biologically, most of the time, uh, guys tend to be taller than girls. And maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but I think that's always the thing. But uh, it seems like that's not always the case, right? Sometimes uh, there's a, a mixed match there. And uh, I just, you know, chalked it up to just personal preference. But it seems like there might be more to it, right, Jen? Tell us more. Well, there's a lot more to it. I mean, you look at the average man in America, and he's 5'9". <laughs> he's five foot nine inches. Yet, there's like what less than 10% of the men, I think it's like 8% of the men are over six foot tall. And you've got to think that the majority of women, uh, d- despite their height, are going after the over six foot tall man. It has always been that way. It's nothing new. This is nothing like revelational that we've, you know, we're seeing now. It's always been the case, whether a woman's five foot one. Or whether she's five foot nine, I think the five foot nine or five foot eleven women 
have a case. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But there's a whole, I mean, there's, there's a whole science to this. I mean, it's just uh, women tend to equate these taller men with power. I was just talking to a girl today and she said, you know, I'm five nine. So I like a taller man. She said, there's something about a man that's taller than me that makes me feel safe. Uh, so there it is in a nutshell, I guess women just want to feel like, Oh, I'm so little, you know, and I'm so protected. And I know that sounds so silly. And I made my voice sound silly to say it because it is silly because it isn't dependent on height. Um, but it's this weird stereotype for tall men. So there you go. And some some tall men don't like short women. Right. But I think the point you're underscoring is that there's, there's more to it. And um, this is one of my, uh, I'm, I'm going to call it a hobby, right, is, is reading these articles. I get articles on everything, but I, I always enjoy the dating articles because I, I got divorced 12 years ago and I've dated a ton. And uh, I'm dating one person right now, which is kind of cool. But uh, I, I've had a, a lot of dating experience. And, and I, so I read these things and I find them very, very interesting. And some of the stuff that I've read um, goes in different directions. Like there's some where, you know, women claim women are assertive because of whatever, or women are more independent because of whatever reasons. But lately, there's been a big um, push, mainly on social media, where there are a number of uh, psychologists or other speakers that are out there discussing how uh, women ultimately prefer to be in their most feminine energy that they they want to be, I'm going to use the word submissive because that's the word that the psychologists use in describing this because it truly gives them a, a feeling of safety, kind of like what you were saying of a shorter woman being with a taller man. And that mm-hmm. in this dynamic of um, masculine versus feminine energy, that these women preferred that because they didn't want to be the decision maker in a dating relationship. They wanted the man to, to say, hey, look, I'm picking you up at eight o'clock and I'm taking you to Luigi's for dinner. And and that so many fights spurred from options that were presented when men would pick them up and say, hey, what, what do you want to eat? Where do you want to go? And I don't know. I don't like this. Let's go here. I don't like that one. Right. And then it becomes a big issue of conflict. And it had to do with women are preferring men that were decisive and kind of confident and secure in what they wanted to do and how they wanted to entertain their female guests. And uh, it made sense on its face. I just don't know if it makes sense in real life in practice. And I guess it's, there's cultural differences as well. Well, yeah. And well, uh, first of all, I love that you brought this up because it is a huge topic. I mean, it really is with women getting in the workplace, um, holding positions of power, and then having to try to turn that off at the end of the day. Uh, I've done coaching for a long time with women. And there's a lot of women I could actually say, and this might surprise you, it might not, but I'll say, what is feminine energy? So describe to me what feminine energy is. And they can't. And I'll say, well, just, you know, tell me, like, describe someone who's feminine. They can't. Women have today have become so out of their feminine energy. And yes, 100%. I mean, what the psychologists are saying is, is true in that women really do want to be able to, and I'm going to use the word submissive, just because it works here in whatever form it looks like. They just want to be on the more submissive. They want that man to lead. They want him to take control. But, but women don't know how to let go of it. So and you, there and is you know, a conflict I, I just there. want to ch- ch- chime in here because I feel like this is a diff- separate topic I've discussed here outside of dating is that there is a attack 
on masculinity in in our in our country where and a lot of guys have fallen victim to this attack where they're almost afraid to be in their masculine energy and and afraid to be the leader and they're focused on this egalitarian approach where it's truly a turnoff for many women even if they don't say it does that make sense uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me, let me, <laughs> it's a great point. It's a, it's a huge point that, that have fathers stopped teaching their sons how to be men because men don't, men, t- and I do this for a living. So many men don't know how to take the lead today. They don't know how to court a woman. They don't, they don't know how to romance a woman. They don't know that they need to plan ahead and ask a woman out on a date and, you know, if you know where pick her up, you know, and and romance her, they don't understand this anymore. And and they have that they have stepped back. I personally, Rich, I say they're lazy. I have a podcast and if you listen to it, you would probably you should because you're into dating. You would laugh because I have to call men out. At the end of the day, a majority of men are just lazy. They know what they should do. They're not doing it. And they don't have to because the woman will. And so there's this, you know, there's there's two masculines and no feminines in the in the relate. I mean, two feminines and no masculines. Excuse me. So well, um, yeah, and that sounds yeah. like a recipe for disaster. I just want to remind everybody of the podcast. Um, Jennifer Styers has a podcast. It's called the Lovability Show with Jennifer Styers. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts. And I want to continue right on this thread uh, about this, um, you know two feminines or two masculines, even if it's a man and a woman, and what that looks like in the dating world based on the coaching that you've done. So folks, we're on with Jennifer Styers. She's a professional relationship coach who uh, runs Love Jen, a boutique matchmaking service, and she's the host of the popular podcast, The Lovability Show with Jennifer Styers. Make sure you check that out, download it, subscribe to it. Uh, I'm definitely going to do that because I, I love listening to this stuff. I, I just find it so interesting. And uh, so, so much of it is natural for me just because my dad was a real tough guy and, uh, you know, I tend to emulate my dad, but I, I can see how this can happen to people who aren't maybe as headstrong or weren't raised that way. So, uh, I support machismo and toxic masculinity. We're coming right back with Jennifer Styers. This is America at night with Rich Valdez. Call now 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right. So there's a YouTuber or a TikToker, excuse me, with the username at Ms. underscore Petch, P-E-T-C-H. And the topic that they're discussing, uh, well, what she says is this. She says she's looking for a man who wants to pay on the first date, who wants to open your door, who has that want and desire to take care of you and provide, who's not a conservative. (laughs) And this uh, woman, she's from Los Angeles, says that men she's dated uh, do have those qualities and traits, but don't align with her political, political ideologies. 
And she's clarified that just because she wants an old-fashioned gentleman doesn't mean she plans to subscribe to do a traditional housewife role. And uh, the, the headline on this piece in the New York Post is, I'm a liberal, it's hard to find masculine men to date who aren't conservative. And I just, I find this very, very interesting uh, because in, in today's day and age, it's very interesting to me how just about any issue, including who you date and what energy they're in, <laughs> can, can become politicized. Our guest uh, is the host of The Lovability Show with Jennifer Styers. Jennifer Styers, welcome back. Uh, what's your take on that? Uh, well, <laughs> I think um, I think that well, number one, I understand where she's coming from. You hear that from a lot of women um, that 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 guy that that knows how to treat a woman like that, that old fashioned guy. They are harder to find even in the conservative world. I do think there's more uh, more in the conservative world. Uh, but the those the, the po- politics, though, in general, I mean, this has become this four, six years ago, you know, this was this started and it was crazy. And now it's like polar opposite. Again, I just met with somebody today and she said the one thing she wa- she would never date a liberal, ever date a liberal like it's some, it's off the table. So people are cut and dry, black and white, typically on this. So it's really divided people in more ways than one, especially in dating. And it's crazy. Well, let me share a word of advice for all of America that's listening. I um, I grew up in Brooklyn and I live in Jersey now, and I can tell you it's very difficult to even meet a woman that shares any of my political ideas. Very, very rare. So I've almost always dated women that disagreed with me politically, and I, I lean on my um, you know my my incredible uh, charm and <laughs> and my sense of humor <laughs> to get through those situations and of course my 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 you know my dad in me you know that when they come at you sideways and they're like but how could you how could you how could you and I'm just like oh, stop chill let's talk about something else <laughs> and you know just move on and you got to just kind of right. take control of the situation to to get there right you know it's it, it is there there's always a happy medium and where we got how we got to this place where we're all fighting <laughs> you know, about mm-hmm. everything and we're not having a conversation. Everything needs to be a conversation. Why, why we can't talk about that too, uh, you know, is, 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 is beyond me, but it is a divider and it's, it, we're, we're seeing match.com uh, does these surveys every year, singles in America. And every single year you see the divide get bigger and bigger and bigger politically. We're just not going to win there, but you're doing a really good job. So you could probably teach somebody what you're doing. Uh, let's see. Who knows? You know, it, it just I find it so interesting. And and it's also my approach in real life. You know, again, if you live in New York, you know, you could hang out with the young Republican club and meet people there. But ultimately, there's always going to be a um, you're always going to bump into people that you disagree with. And I don't see the benefit of being at war with everybody that doesn't share my opinion. I just, I don't see it. I know some people say, oh, but they're destroying America. And like the woman you were saying that said, it's, it's a deal breaker, I'll never do it. I think she had a bad experience with that particular liberal. And I think you've, you've got to give people a chance to be people. Because at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a politically conservative, I'm a radio talk show host, but I'm a, I'm a person, right? I'm, I'm a multidimensional person. And I think the people that, that we're dating are also multidimensional people. And our value systems have... Um, are also multidimensional. So, you know, you're, you're going to, ideally you're going to find 
some common ground somewhere. Hopefully, if you don't, then that's clearly not the person for you. But I, I've never right. said, I want to date that girl because you know what? She's a good conservative Republican. And just <laughs> that's never come out of my mind or even entered my brain. Well, I do think that there you had said the word values, and I think that's the key is that there's so many values, lifestyle values that align with politics. And that's where I think the divide is for some people. But, you know, this this is a place where we're never going to win. I mean, there's a lot of places where we need to we need to make exceptions. I mean, anybody that's over the age of 40 needs to understand that somebody else that is, you know, has 40 years behind them, even if you're 25, I'm just using 40. You know, they've got a whole different childhood. They've got all kinds of different experiences, perceptions, and beliefs. Nobody's going to be you, you know, and the sooner we can learn that to find someone and understand, okay, where do we connect? You know, we're always, um, people are always looking for after a date. And I do these after date interviews with people and people always want to go to the negative, what they didn't like. And I'm always, I'm, I'm always coaching them to say, tell me what you liked first. Tell me what you liked about him first. And my clients know now after a date, that's where they have to start because I need to train the brain to start looking at different things. You know, we have to go on dates. We have to go into the dating world with a, with a different attitude. What do I like about this person and where are the places that we connect? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and this, what we started talking about is something I'd, I'd love to invite you back and, and really uh, maybe spend um, the, the whole half hour on it is this, you made a statement that I thought was really interesting. And you said, women can't identify A, how to be in their feminine energy and B, a woman that they could even describe as feminine. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, and we should explore that. But I want you to stick around for one more segment. We have some callers that want to weigh in on this with you. Folks, if you have a question, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833 for valdez That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We go to your calls with our guest, Jennifer Styers. She's the host of The Lovability Show with Jennifer Styers. And uh, let's go to Phil. Phil's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, listening on America's oldest radio station, KDKA. Phil, go right ahead. Um, yes, I had a question for the guests. Um, I'm a short male, about five foot four, and I was—I've always been attracted to unusually tall women, like six two to six eight. And I wanted to ask the guests: um, Do you think women of that height are more receptive to dating short guys? You know, if you're confident. I mean, I think there's a, there is something to be said, and it's great that does say that you're a confident man if you like to date taller women because that there is science and statistics behind that but taller women taller women have had to go through a lot in their life because of being tall they've had to date shorter men many of those women have gotten very confident in dating short men so i think it works i think it works great i love that you're confident enough to do it thank you phil i appreciate it you know jennifer styers i had a a buddy, um, shorter than me. 
and probably about maybe five, 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 six. And uh, he almost exclusively liked tall girls. That was his thing. He was like, oh, there's a tree I want to chop down. <laughs> he just thought they were just absolutely beautiful. And uh, I think some guys just have that preference. So it's it's a it's 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 a win, right? It's a win if if the tall women like shorter guys and and vice versa. Now, Jennifer Styers, tell everybody how they could find uh, your matchmaking firm and uh, keep up to speed with everything that you're doing. Well, thank you for asking. You know, I've got a, a podcast, uh, the Love Ability Show, and that's on whatever podcast station you listen to. Um, my website is lovegen.com. That's matchmaking coaching. And uh, we actually are la- about to launch a new <laughs> matchmaking site, not a dating site, because can't stand dating. Uh, we have a different level, uh, and it's going to be everything that dating sites aren't, and it's called Lovey, L-O-V-E-Y. So it's lovey.ai. Outstanding. Jennifer Stiers, I hope to have you back soon and talk about that uh, topic that we discussed earlier. Folks, yes. check her out, listen to her podcast, and I want to thank you for being here, Jen. Appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Folks, Open Phone America is coming up. Everything's on the table. I want to hear from you. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Keep it locked right here. Open Phone America starts right now. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you on Friday night. We're going to let our hair down tonight and get into a bunch of crazy stuff. We've discussed the United Auto Workers strike. We had a really good conversation on that. We also discussed uh, the current state of affairs in America, whether it's Biden or crime, the border, uh, the lawlessness and godlessness that's uh, kind of permeating so many of our... Uh, Democrat-run cities in America, and really uh, the entirety of the country is is suffering for that uh, kind of at large. And uh, a number of other topics. We talked about dating versus uh, conservatives versus liberals when it comes to dating and how liberal women are having a tough time finding conservative men to date, or rather masculine men to date that are not conservatives. I thought that was an interesting discussion we had. And uh, I want to get into some other off-the-wall crazy stuff and all of the other political stuff that you guys want to talk about as well. But I wanted to um, direct your attention to uh, an article that I recently saw uh, in uh, the Post Millennial. And there's a clip of audio that accompanies it. But back in 2020, there was an activist who um, she calls herself a fat liberation activist. Now, you might remember some of you who are listening are longtime listeners of mine. And on my show that I used to do in Philadelphia and, and, and is also my podcast, This is America with Rich Valdez, short half-hour, 40-minute weekly podcast, um, I did a show with uh, Fat Phobia in the title. If you want to listen to that show, I encourage you to do it. Uh, just find it online and search for Fat Phobia. And it was a girl saying that, you know, it's very fat phobic and people are fat phobic because they're white supremacists at heart. And it was just really, really crazy. But 
um, there's a new fat activist, and not that she's fat, um, but she calls herself a fat liberation activist. Her name is Zayana Bryant, and um, she's uh, notoriously famous for alleging very publicly that a fellow student at the university she was attending called BLM activists speed bumps. And that happened during the riots of 2020. And uh, she, uh, you know, made some headlines for that. So I find it uh, interesting that she's back in because now she has a brand new partner, a sponsor, if you will, Dove, right? Dove Beauty Bar, which is a quick plug for them that's not paid for. I've been using that almost my whole life. My grandmother was a Dove Beauty Bar person, and that was the only soap that, you know, worked for me. And it's still the only soap I've used as an adult now. And uh, they're now sponsoring um, Ms. Bryant. And uh, she, she had a few things to say about fat liberation. Listen to this. My belief is that we should be centering the voices and experiences of the most marginalized people and communities at all times. So when I think about what fat liberation looks like to me, it looks like centering the voices and the experiences of those who live in and who maneuver through spaces and institutions in a fat body. It looks like making accessible spaces and having conversations that are aware of the fact that people have different bodies and that they are interacting with space and people and institutions and communities in a different way. Fat liberation looks like fully embracing those differences and having those conversations instead of shying away from them. To learn more about fat liberation and the campaign for size freedom that Dove is supporting, visit dove.com forward slash size freedom. Tap in, join the campaign, support the campaign. This is important and we should all be talking about it. So now you can't say, oh man, that Valdez, he's really kind of chubby, a little bit rotund. No, no, no. I am practicing size freedom, you see. I am now part of the Fat Liberation Army, <laughs> the FLA. I'm, uh, I'm the new president here of the uh, New York chapter. Just kidding. Now, Bryant, who's been awarded with many accolades and opportunities, and this is in the post-millennial, uh, since manufacturing the hate hoax back in uh, 2020, she's got this new partner in Dove. And the affiliation with Bryant is to help Dove promote their latest fat liberation campaign. But Bryant, as many have pointed out, was responsible for ruining Morgan Bettinger's entire life. Bettinger never called BLM activist uh, or any BLM activist a speed bump. Uh, she never called police on protesters. Protesters, excuse me. I know how to speak. I promise you, protesters. And she never attempted to uh, run any of her fellow students over that summer. Yet Bryant, simply by saying this on social media, absolutely destroyed uh, Miss Bettinger. So. Ms. Bettinger was expelled from school and the false allegations have continued to haunt her. She was tormented. She's been bullied. She's been called the most vile of all uh, contemporary uh, insults, a racist. And it was all a vicious lie spread by Ms. Bryant, who's now a rock star for the Dove brand. So Bryant now is reaping those rewards and her Instagram account is chock full of her self-praise. And to top it off, she believes that she is marginalized despite having an outsized voice and an outsized body. And quite frankly, I'm looking at a photo here and numerous partnerships with high profile nonprofits and brands. She says, my belief is that we should be centering the voices and experiences of the most marginalized people and communities at all times. And look, it's good to look out for the underdog. I support that. What I don't support is her saying we have to have conversations like creating accessible spaces. Now, listen. 
if you're a guy and you're into larger women or girls that are into chubby guys, you know, without those girls, I would never would have made it in the dating world, right? So kudos to all the girls that like gorditos. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make you any healthier, right? And it's not something that I think we should really praise. If that's your fancy, good for you. That's your flow. But it can't be normalized to the point where we think, no, no, listen, some people are small, some people are big. No, false, fake, phony fraud. That's not true. Yes, it, it's true that some people are smaller and some people are bigger, but it doesn't mean that you're just naturally bigger. You may have a, a biological predisposition to be fatter. You may have a, a family history of poor diet. You may have a lot of things like me. You know, when I went to the doctor, he said too much rice and beans, too much roast pork. That's what we eat. Obviously, if that's what we eat, we're going to have uh, the repercussions of a diet like that, which could be heart disease uh, and all sorts of other things. So the point I'm making is, it's okay to accept people for being bigger, but it's not okay to accept bigger as something positive. I think at, no matter what, you can say, look, I love you despite your issues, despite your size, despite your flaws, but I'm not gonna sit here and sugarcoat the truth and not say that you're a walking pre-diabetic that's you know about to become full-blown type two diabetic. I can't sit here and say that you know your, your triglycerides are probably right on the money and that you have a, a normal cholesterol level or that you're not in danger of heart disease. Of course you are. The fatter you are, the less healthy you are. That's just a fact. Now, some people will argue, no, 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 I have a friend, 350 pounds, 400 pounds. This guy's blood pressure is steady Eddie. Listen, it just means it hasn't happened yet. But there's no science, right? Follow, follow the science, right? That's so what Dr. Fauci says. There's no science out there that says that you being fat is better. It just doesn't exist. You being fat is easier. It's easier for you to, to live the lifestyle that you're living, unless you're really, really obese, where you can't really live the lifestyle you need to live. You can't get out of the house. You're stuck in a wheelchair. But for the most part, if you're more trim and you're more fit, I, I've lost 70 pounds in the last six years. It's been a long road for me. But I feel better. I look way better. And I'm continuing to diet and go to the gym and all that stuff. So my point is we can't sit here and normalize bad health. That's not good. And ultimately it costs all of us, right? Everybody's insurance is going to go up. Everybody's taxes are going to go up because of government intervention to, to help people through this. Because ultimately they're going to need a gastric bypass. They're going to need a, maybe a triple bypass, right? There's all sorts of things you need when you're unhealthy. So I wanted to get into this and get your opinions on it as well as all the other stuff we're discussing. Give me a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Coming right back to your calls. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. That's 833-482-5337. 833 for valdez That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez. And uh, I want to go to the phones. I want to get your thoughts on everything we're talking about tonight. Lots of topics. Uh, let's go to Larry. He's in Newport, North Carolina, WPTF. 
I didn't even know we were on WPTF. Uh, thank you for having us. Larry, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, thank you, Rich. Uh, I, I was listening to you tonight, uh, trying to listen to you and Donald Trump. He was giving these speeches tonight, and it was with the, these women groups and stuff. And, I mean, all this stuff I hear about the women ain't going to vote for Trump and all that ain't what I was seeing tonight. I mean, he was giving a great speech with great tone and everything. And I mean, they were they were receptive to him. And the, and when they the woman with the prayer and everything, it's like tears coming to my eyes. You know, yeah. Thank God that women are waking up and actually seeing that Donald Trump ain't this damn monster that this left has been trying to portray him as. Yeah. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, listen, I, I agree with you. I think there is a, a gradual um, a gradual progression towards people being accepting of many things. I think there were people that were kind of predisposed to certain things like, ew, you're a conservative? You know, like, that's wrong. Ew, you're pro-life? There are just certain people that think that if you're of a certain persuasion, you know, if you love Jesus, if you uh, love America, if you do these things that, that you're somehow bad. You're an evil colonizer. You're a, a closet white supremacist because this is the line of crap that they're fed in the media. And and I get it, but I think people are waking up. And the reason I know this is because my approach has never been very heavy handed. And I, I get criticized for that saying, you know, you got to be tougher. And I guess maybe um, in previous years, I used to be very tough on the radio in New York City, but it's a different kind of show. Uh, but this is me. This is my real speed here. And, and I can tell you that, I feel that when I share something, just as an example, on Instagram, right? And if you're not following me, please do, at Rich Valdez with an S on Instagram or all the social media. But Instagram in particular, you get to scroll through think, people that you don't even follow. You see all sorts of videos and you could post them to your Instagram story. And every now and again, I'll see something uh, where, you know, a mom is speaking out at a school board meeting because they were over-sexualizing the um, curriculum and, and introducing their children to not just sexual topics, but um, homosexual or transsexual sexual topics. And parents are taking exception to this, so they're going and fighting back and blasting the Board of Education at these meetings, and they get these videos and they post them online. Or you'll have others where teachers are, you know, uh, saying things like, um, you know, I, I'm a they-them, and I, I don't believe in in labels like, you know, male or female, I'm a non-binary. And, and all of this, is, but these are kindergarten teachers or second-grade teachers, fourth-grade teachers. So I think parents are seeing this and they're going, you know, I, I, the reason I don't get involved in politics is because I just want to live my life. I want to I want to I want to mind my own business. But when you, you come after a mother's child or a father's child, this parent is going to come after you and they don't like it. So I, I feel like the the um, the leftward movement in, in our nation to sexualize children is a dangerous move and more and more people are getting hip to it. And the reason I realize that is because I, I've always had a lot of friends. I used to be a barber and, and it was a popular barber shop and I just, I knew a lot of people and many of the people that follow me online don't care about my radio show or my political opinions. They just happen to like me as a person because they knew me from my barbershop days or for a while I had a, a small um, side business producing red carpet events uh, for entertainment and stuff like that. So people that just were like, hey, I like to hang out with Rich and he has a, he throws a good party. And, and I say all of that to say 
that they, these same people, when they see this content that I'm sharing, they're the first ones commenting saying, I can't believe this is going on. Is this real? Is this a joke? Because they're not up to speed with all of this wokeism and crazy stuff that's going on in America. And when they realize that it is real and that it's being supported by only one political party and by the president, the current sitting president of the United States, Joe El Baboso Biden, well, they're now out of sorts. And they're thinking to themselves, I can't support that. And in, in, in no way in good conscience can I support Biden. And I've been a Democrat my whole life. And my parents are Democrats and everybody's a Democrat. And, and they realize they quickly throw this lifelong Democrat allegiance out of the window because they realize my allegiance is truly to my children, to my family, to the things that I believe are right versus wrong. And when people see that, they become active. And whether it's you know standing up in the face of adversity, uh, standing up to school boards, sharing things on Facebook, Instagram, or other social media like Truth Social, whatever the case is, people start to take action. They start forwarding it, whether they don't post it publicly, they'll forward it to their sister, their cousin, their friend, and three other people that might be interested in seeing what's going on and them saying crazy, right? That type of thing. And there's more and more of that happening. I have a friend that's a teacher, and recently I saw, uh, you know, I posted something and she said, oh, that's crazy, I can't believe that's happening. And, and then she shared a, a video, a reel, as they're called, uh, Instagram reel, with me. And uh, it was something even more egregious than what I had posted. And so I, I'm realizing that people that are very apolitical, that don't care about politics, they're not involved in anything, they don't call themselves Republicans or Democrats, they typically say things like, I haven't even voted in the last three elections. I, I, uh, or, or I vote, but you know, I make my decision in the voting booth. Or they say things like, you know, I'm not really a conservative or a liberal. I like certain issues versus other issues, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada. And now those people are all coming on the side of conservative, like me, because they're realizing, you know, these things, they just don't work for my family. They, there's no value for for me, for my family, for my children. And when we have these situations where that happens, you're going to see more women voting for Trump, more women coming out for Trump. But the, the voting block that they always talk about in the media is the suburban woman with a college degree. And that woman is the toughest one to crack because they're set in their ways in many ways. They've been through a complete um, communist sympathizing or Marxist uh, indoctrination at the university level. And this is their their training ground. And that's why we're seeing the needle move a little bit, but um, you know, it needs to move a lot more. Larry. Well, I, I thank you for that. See, I've got two millennials myself, a 39 and 38 year old, and I, I, I guess you're around the millennial age or so, or around that age. And yeah, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm, I'm 45. It my heart it does my heart good to know that young people like you still got some damn common sense in this country <laughs> that can think things out and you know, and and reason and and get stuff straight. So I appreciate you, young man. Oh, thank you, Larry. That's uh, quite the compliment. I appreciate it. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I thank you for calling in. Hope you'll call again soon. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls momentarily, right away, straight ahead. Uh, our phone number, 833-482-5337. I see we've got calls from Michigan, Tennessee, Maryland, and more that are coming in right now, New York City. And uh, I, I want you to weigh in on this. And I also, I'm going to ask everybody that's calling in tonight whether you're fat phobic or if you're in favor of fat liberation. Which one is it? Let me know. And again, if you've missed any portion of the program tonight, if you if there's a particular interview that you didn't catch or you're on a radio station that only plays, you know, uh, two hours out of the three hours of this program, uh, A, 
kindly ask that radio station, call that program director and say, hey, listen, I want to hear Rich Valdez live and all of it, all three hours. I would love that. And if, especially if they listen to you and they did it, that would be even better. But uh, if not, go to the website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com, and you'll never miss an episode. You can even subscribe to the podcast there, which I recommend that you do as well. Folks, we're coming right back to your calls and uh, the rest of the news stories that we want to dig into. So don't move a muscle. Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. How does the president plan to convince the American people over the next year that 80 is not too old for someone who's running for re-election? 80 is the new 40. Didn't you hear? Um, but look, it is, it, it, let's, it, let's, it, you know, I get asked this question about once a week, maybe twice a week. I don't know. I've lost track. Um, this is a president, if you think about it, um, in 2019, he got the same criticism. In 2020, he got the same criticism. In 2022, he got the same criticism. And every time, he beats the naysayers. Every time he does above and beyond and makes history in doing that, um, that others are not able to, others are not able to do, right? And I think that's really important too. So KJP says that 80 is the new 40. And my question to her is, Five foot eight, the new six two. I mean, that would be uh, fantastic, right? It puts me in the game. Puts me in the game with the tall guys. I don't know if that's true or not, but I want to get to your calls on Biden's age, on fat phobia, fat liberation, and everything else we've talked about tonight, from dating to the auto worker strike, the cost of living, immigration, and everything else. Let us go to the phones eight three three four eight two five three three seven, and I want to check in with. Melissa. Melissa's in North Bergen, New Jersey, listening on WFAS out of New York City. Melissa, go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Thanks. It was a great topic today. I wanted to comment on the feminine energy because I know we spoke about this. and I find well, Let it, me ask you a question. Uh, I want to ask you first. Sure. Is Joe Biden too old to run for president? Huh. I don't think so. He may, He's a little old, though. He, I, I think maybe he could... Uh, he could probably just go to the side. Maybe we can keep him for a VP or something. But I think he, uh, I don't know if he's too old, but I think he's uh, showing some signs that maybe he probably shouldn't run again. Right. So it's not that he's too old. It's just that he may not be healthy enough um, and maybe not because right, of his age. Right. And I, I get that. Now, with respect to yeah. fat phobia and fat liberation, um, should we be celebrating fat people uh, and being fat? And again, I'm, I'm a former fat person, probably a, I'm going to call myself a fat person in recovery. Um, I think it's a bad thing to uh, kind of celebrate fatness. I think it's something we can, of course, you accept fat people, but I don't know that we should have special lounge areas specially dedicated for fat people. I don't think we can accommodate this problem. Uh, we have to help eliminate this problem is my thought. What say you? As a former fat person and myself in recovery, I agree with you completely because 
just it's I think you should be proud of who you are and proud of your skin. And if you're healthy, fantastic. But for the most part, I would say that that's not the situation. Um, I say, you know, uh, there's a lot of unhealthy habits and there's a big difference between being healthy and feeling proud in your skin. If there is a situation where you have a, a health issue and, you know, you can't lose weight, then, you know, I think that's different. But I think a lot of people are just celebrating a lot of unhealthy behaviors and I don't think it should be celebrated at all. Now, you uh, wanted to talk about the dating topic that we were talking about earlier. Go right ahead. Right. Um, I also, I feel like everything she was saying was true. As a very short woman at all of five feet tall, at its best, I also didn't date anybody under six feet tall, but I did it with a purpose. Um, I do like taller men. Yes, that's great, and I find them attractive. It doesn't necessarily mean I feel safer with them. The purpose was I knew if I had a child, he didn't have a shot at being above like five two if it was anybody short. Oh, so, <laughs> yes, and um, and I have proof in the pudding because I do have a son and he is very tall, and so I feel like my objective was met. Mission accomplished. And, uh, so, yeah, mission accomplished. Um, so I guess now that you know I've had my child, I could date under six feet tall. I have all look into it, but um, <laughs> you know, I just you know a preference. <laughs> But you know, I don't know how to be feminine either. At the same time, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say it's a cultural thing. Most Hispanic are women a, tend to be. Are you be, a tomboy? I would say I would fall more on the tomboyish side. I have a lot of male cousins and a lot of males are around, and I was raised by my father as well. So I don't have a lot of what I feel are not that I can't be feminine, but I don't, I don't think off the off seeing me off the back, you see feminine when you see me. Right. Well, I'm again, I think part of what we were just, just to clarify for everybody listening, I think what the discussion we were having was not so much the feminine um, form or, you know, wearing dresses and being dainty and doing your nails and stuff like that. Uh, while that's a part of femininity, I think what we're really talking about is is taking on a masculine or feminine role and bringing that energy into the relationship where you've got some women that are uh, for lack of a better word, or because I want to be provocative, uh, wanting to wear the pants and men abdicating the pants. Absolutely. And and I think that's where I wanted to really go with it in just regards to Hispanic women tending to be very tough. And I don't know if it's a cultural thing um, where we feel like we have to be tough because that's what you have to do. I also, you know, I'm, I'm I, you know, really it hit me when she was talking about like raising a boy because uh, really, I do think a lot of men today do not know how to court women. I think that was on point. I don't think they even know how to speak to women. They, you know, they say that they don't make them like they used to. You spoke about your father, real macho guy. You yeah. know, even if it wasn't that machismo, they knew how to be men. They knew how to take care of women. They knew how to court them. It's just, I, I don't know what, you know, definitely a lot of male feminine energy, but it's also a lot of female masculine energy because we got to take care of the house, work, take care of the children. And it's almost like we have to have that male energy in order to, you know, make sure everything stays in control in the house, in our lives, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it's an excellent point. And I think, again, culture plays a role. And I don't mean culture like cultural, like being Hispanic or being from another ethnicity. I think it's culture in general, like uh, popular culture, that plays a role in this where, you know, for years, the dad on most sitcoms, especially Disney sitcoms, um, was always ridiculed as this like buffoonish type of character. The dad was always like falling down and doing all this slapstick comedy where everybody, the mom was large and in charge and the dad is kind of following around like a, like a doting dad. Whereas, 
you know, my era, and again, this is not really my era, but I grew up watching some black and white shows like I Love Lucy and Leave it to Beaver, where the dad, you know, Ricky Ricardo was, he was the man, right? He was Rico Suave. He was, you know, playing the Babalu and, uh, and Lucy was home doing her thing with Ethel, Ethel, her neighbor. And, and again, not to sound chauvinistic in any way, but it, it just was the way of the world back then. Now, Given the advent of, of women working and being outside of the home and no longer child rearing to the uh, level that they do in many cases, put, putting the kids in daycare, sharing the workload, uh, I think there's a, a mindset that goes with, well, if we're both working and we're both um, breadwinners, then um, we have to share in responsibilities. And I think that's a very fair statement. Uh, but I think that that doesn't change those kind of um, gender roles. And and I know a couple personally to me um, that's, you know, very in my inner orbit, family members of mine, that the wife is a very successful um, chief executive for um, for a company. And, and the husband's a very successful entrepreneur. But he is also a very macho kind of guy that, you know, takes no guff. He's that guy. And she's that guy at work. But when she comes home, she becomes June Cleaver. And and she loves it. She loves the fact that there's a man in the house that acts like the man of the house, that handles things like the man of the house should handle them. And um, and for her, it's like a relief. It, 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 and it seems to really work well together with them. And she's able to kind of turn off the I'm the boss role once she gets home, and not that she's subservient or a slave or anything, but she's able to revert to a, uh, a more, a softer, more supportive uh, type of nurturing role where he's more of a protector, provider, uh, get things done role, which is, is a good idea. You know, if a TV needs to be hung up on the wall, um, many women are capable of that. But I think there's nothing wrong with her saying, Hey, hun, can you hang the TV up on the wall? And him going, absolutely, right? Because that's part of what I do. I'm el macho. Anyway, Melissa, thanks for the call. I appreciate your insight. And thanks for listening on WFAS out of New York City. And we're going to continue with the rest of your calls from Maryland, Tennessee, and Michigan. Straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. Call now 833 4Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 833 4Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. What they're trying to do is destabilize cities because it's Chicago, it's Washington, D.C., it's New York. It's the narrative that these are Democratic-run cities and that we don't know how to govern and that everything is chaotic here. We live in a city that welcomes immigrants. And so I think we have been able to handle it. But I am fearful that any day planes could start coming. 
Any day, plane loads of people could start coming and continuing to destabilize the economies in these cities and states where Democrats are in control. But yet it's not their fault, right? It's not their fault uh, that the cost of living is going up. It's not their fault that they're bankrupting these cities. It's not their fault that immigration's out of control. I got, whose fault is it, Mayor Karen Bass? I don't know. Anyway, let's go to Tom. He's in Memphis, Tennessee on WJCW. Tom, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, uh, I, I agree with Trump. I'm sorry. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, Tom, go for it. He's done so much for us for the last four years, and then this enabled body has destroyed everything. Things were looking up. Things were looking good. And are you talking about the uh, the economy? Are you talking about immigration or all of the above? Well, kind of all of the above. He had a, Trump had it under control and nice and easy, and it was working. This right. an Evelyn person that we have now has actually destroyed all that. Yeah, and yeah, it's interesting. The way you said it is really well uh, well put. The um, This benevolent person, right? Joe the benevolent Biden. St. <laughs> Joe. And, you know, St. Joe's trying to do the right thing here, but the government can't be your daddy, right? The government can't be the cure-all for everything that's out there. It's a free market economy that we have. And, and the idea that we should be able to provide and, and do our own thing is pretty part and parcel of the American dream, the American experience, people making it. And that doesn't mean that you can't get a job or a good union job and have good benefits. Uh, Everybody does a different thing and they do it a different way. But ultimately, it's the liberty, the freedom that you have, the the lack of government oversight in many ways that allows businesses to flourish. And when you have too much regulation, over-regulation by businesses, uh, of businesses by the government, this becomes problematic and it stifles economic growth. It stifles our ability to really truly exercise liberty and be free because, you know, you can't, you can't make it like you were once able to make it. You throw that in with the uh, compounded uh, impact of inflation and higher uh, interest rates and, you know, decreased uh, mortgage sales and voila, we're, we're in a tough spot and it could be worse. Uh, I don't want to make it sound, uh, you know, like I'm being unfair. Um, I'm being critical, but I, I want to be fair in my critique. So I think you, you bring up a good point. Uh, the the cost of living is going up, and it's fair for people to ask for more money, like the UAW workers. That's fair. Uh, whether they get it or not is also fair. That's how the free market works. You're going to get what the market allows. And if they don't like you, then maybe they'll let you go and go with somebody who's not union and they can pay less to. And I think that's ultimately the the, the back and forth that you're always going to face, which so for so many people that have never worked in a union, that's the reality of life for them every single day. They don't have those protections. So it's, um, it's a, a double-edged sword to say the least, but your analysis that things were better before, I think is 100% spot on. Thank you for the call, Tom. I appreciate it. Big shout out to WJCW Memphis, Tennessee. Let us continue. Let us go now to Kim. Kim is in Shields, Michigan, KDKA online. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Another good show. Um, Thank I'm you. calling in about 
You're welcome. The caller that uh, said, how are we ever going to send these people back? And he figured out how many we'd have to send every day and stuff. But um, a relative and I talked about this like a year and a half ago. I said, you know, when President Trump gets back in, he's going to have to deport all these people, and it's going to be many, many millions. And um, I just want to say there is a precedent for this. In Eisenhower's um, uh, presidency, uh, he had an operation that repatriated 5 million illegals back to Mexico. Uh, and you're talking about Operation very- Wetback? Yes. I didn't want to say it because it's kind of derogatory. Well, but, it, it is, and um, it was, it was, it was, it was the same back then. Uh, I don't know that that's always going to be feasible. I know Trump has mentioned doing that, and and I don't think it's going to be uh, similar to that. I think this would be, it would be, and, and would it be, um, because again, the the political will to do those things is there. What is not uh, there is always the the mechanism to do it. Right now, we are definitely overwhelmed. And it's kind of like your basement's being flooded in the middle of a nor'easter. The water's coming in straight through. It's permeating, right? Uh, because the the ground around your house is hydro-locked uh, or waterlogged, and it's it's coming right through uh, your foundation, and you're, you've got a foot of water going on two feet of water. And when you have a situation like that, what you got to do is stop the water from coming in. Sometimes you can't stop it from coming in, so then you have to work on getting it out just as quickly. But I think in the situation at the southern border, we're going to have to work on shutting down the border, uh, immediately stopping this, making sure that people can remain in Mexico, implementing the policies that worked during the Trump administration, putting those back into play, and then figuring out how we're going to handle the, the situation we have internally. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, a, it's going to be a, a multi-pronged approach. And with the amount of people that have come in, I don't think we have the resources to deport them all. We've seen even people that get deported end up coming back for a second and a third round and get arrested for the same crime sometime. So it, it's, it's um, while it's well-intentioned and I think it, it, it might be necessary, I just don't know that if it, it's possible or feasible. Kim, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to KDKA, America's oldest radio station, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, she's listening live from Michigan. Anyway, we're going to continue with your calls straight ahead. We got calls from California, and Maryland coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's right, America. It's the final countdown. That means it's the speed round. We're minutes away from the end of the show. Let's go to Frank in Cumberland, Maryland, WCBC. Frank, quickly, go right ahead. Well, that ballooning national debt, the U.S. in danger of going bankrupt, but how bad would that be? Puerto Rico went bankrupt several years ago. You know how that turned out? And are they on their feet again? And does that, what does that tell us about our future? Right. Well, Puerto Rico is an interesting uh, Michigan, right? Detroit uh, went bankrupt as well. Uh, there, there's a lot of people who have gone bankrupt, and I think oftentimes it's a reorganization of debt that gets them back on track. Detroit's probably doing better than than Puerto Rico is, only because Puerto Rico has uh, privatized so many of their uh, public utilities, and this continues to put them in trouble, and there's a massive corruption problem there. So I think m- save the fact that you can manage corruption, 
bankruptcy may be an option, but not for the United States uh, writ large, right? We have to maintain the the status quo of being strong and financially solvent. If we don't, then we're doomed. Frank, thank you for the call. Excellent point. And let's go to Joe in San Diego, California, KLSD. Quickly, go right ahead. Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, I wanted to talk about the got a question about the gag order. Um, so what happens if he keeps talking? Like, what can they do? Well, then they'll hold him in contempt if he violates the, the, the terms of the gag order, if they even impose a gag order. I have a feeling if they impose a gag order, he'll fight it and he'll probably win with them saying, look, the guy's running for president. He's a public figure. He's got free speech rights. It's going to be very unlikely that, that it, 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 it stands. But you never know. They, they've done it to Giuliani and they've done it to others in the past. So he may have to watch what he says about the witnesses if that's what it's limited to. Joe in San Diego, call us again. I appreciate it. Folks, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I'm Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.